Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Bible says Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah, uh, really along with all the prophets, but particularly Jeremiah and Ezekiel, have quite a bit to say about David throughout their writings. As they envisioned the future when the Messiah would come, they would use David as the template to talk about the nature of the Messiah and the, the role of the Messiah. Um, they, of course, would talk about the promise God made, that the Messiah would come through his family lineage and talk about the Messiah as the fulfillment of that. In Isaiah 55, uh, David's going to get mentioned, but I'd like to read the verses that surround this to, to set up our next discussion for the next few minutes. Isaiah 55, verse 1. By the way, this is following up the, the great announcement of the Messiah's rule through his suffering in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. And the subsequent chapters in Isaiah depict the people that would come to the Messiah and we would say it, the, the kingdom. Frankly, it's prophecies about people like us. Here, here's what it says in Isaiah 55, beginning verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. The first couple of verses are this uh, call at first, it sounds like, to eat, and it is, but you're eating through your ears. Four times the text in some way, shape, or form talks about listening, hearing, inclining your ear, that kind of stuff. Well, what are we going for? Why are we coming to listen to God and to hear Him and to submit ourselves to what He says? Well, verse 3, I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Ultimately, Jesus is the one that fulfilled this, but I, I just want to remind you, clearly this isn't exactly talking about Jesus because it's talking about people that are hungry and thirsty and need to know God's will that haven't heard it and such. Verse 4 continues to talk about David and the Messiah through David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And then he says to us, Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you not will run to you. Sort of like when David was in that cave and all these people ran to him and they came to him so that he could help them and point them toward God as he fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. Why? Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This prophecy is about, hey, I want to give you, God saying, the, the faithful mercies that I showed to David, I want to show them to you too. Great. How do I get that? How do I receive the kind of favor that David received in my own life? Well, the instruction in verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. There's an urgency to this. There's a priority that you've got to place on seeking the Lord in your life. Uh, if you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, David has brought the ark into Jerusalem, and there's a lengthy psalm of, of praise and thanksgiving because God is in the presence of his people. We've come through the wilderness, and we're in the city of peace, but now it's really the city of peace because God is with us. And listen to what David says in 1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 8. David sings, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. And let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Really what Isaiah was writing about many centuries after David had been dead and gone was an extension of what David sings here in this celebration in Jerusalem long before. And it's the, the subject matter we'd like to consider for the next few minutes, and that is to seek God's will first. I'll say this, to be really uh, clear, these texts have said we need to seek God himself but of course, in Isaiah 55, before it says you need to seek the Lord, it says you need to come and listen to the Lord. Really, if we're going to be people who seek the Lord, we've got to be people who seek what he says about our lives, what he wants. This is really related to what we talked about, how David, circumstances were always changing, but he knew what was right in God's eyes, and he was seeking after that. So we're going to consider this. is to actually David didn't really totally seek the Lord and see what we can learn from this, and see whether we might even find some conviction for ourselves. This To incline our ear to him, to listen so that we may live. Why do we keep on wasting our energy, our time, our minds on things that aren't satisfying us? Uh, guiding lights in this world that are really just more darkness. We need to come to the Lord so that he'll extend to us the faithful mercies that he showed to David, um, even now. All right, so the first story we're going to look at in the life of David that uh, this danger we face in not seeking God's will first is in the bringing in of the ark. If you turn back to 1 Chronicles 13, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, here's what we're going to say about the ark. The ark is an occasion when David kind of, sort of, sought after God's will. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the first, uh, I think, eight verses and uh, obviously, I'm being negative, and so I shouldn't have even put the slide up yet so that you wouldn't have this negative thought. But I think probably a majority of you know what's going to happen in this story. So you know that what David does is not right. But I'd like you to pretend that you're there. Pretend that you're David. And let's outline all the really good things and the good ideas that they had. Pretend, okay? I know you know these are bad ideas, and they went away about it in a bad way. But just pretend. Put yourself in, in the time and think about how this would all seem very reasonable. And, and let's be specific. What's good? What's admirable about the way they go about bringing the ark into Jerusalem? Just for context, why was this a big deal? Well, the ark had not been in really the presence presence of God's people because of uh, the failures of actually predating Saul back in that period of the judges. Whenever the Israelites were trying to rely on their, their 
own pride and their rebellion against God, really. They had lost the ark, which is a big deal. It wasn't just a piece of fancy religious furniture. The ark symbolized God's own presence among the people. So to not have the, the ark was to not have the very glory of God itself, God's own presence among you. And if we don't have God's presence among us, what even are we? That's why this was such a big deal. So let's read about what they planned to do and how they went about it, okay? And then let's talk about it. So see what you see. What's, what's admirable? What's smart? What's good about the way they get this thing set up for bringing the ark to Jerusalem? First Chronicles 13, or it could be considered good. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they may meet with us. And let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel together, from the Shihor of Egypt, even to the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went up to Baalah, that is, to Kiriath-Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, Yahweh, who is enthroned above the cherubim, where his name is called. They carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the court. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and with trumpets. All right, let's pause right there. If you were there, and even upon reading it, if you didn't know the rest of the story, what, what seems good about the way they went about seeking God's will here to bring the ark back into the midst of God's people. And, oh, by the way, I should say, we do know that having the ark in the midst of God's people is good because God had put it in the midst from the very beginning. So we've got to have the ark. That's what this deal is about. We've got to get it in the midst of the people. So we know this is good, and we want to seek God's will to get the ark in the midst of God's people. What's good about how they went about it or could be seen to be good about how they went about it? Huge unity movement. Huge, right? I mean, he talks about how expansive it is across this large territory. The, there's a couple of times the text specifies that all Israel said that it was good. So, all right, good. Big time unity movement. Keep going. What else? Great. We've got the priests and Levites who are experts, right? I mean, they, they're, they're religious experts. They're the guys that we need to go to. So we've gotten the experts involved. That's good. What else? Everybody is hyped about this. I mean, it's like get all whatever kind of instrument you got, bring it. We're going to be it says with all their might, verse 8 says, with all their might they're celebrating. This is really really good, really big. We're not doing any old carts, not for the ark of God. New carts only, right? Which means by the way, somebody to go chop down trees or cut up the lumber or whatever. They had to form the wheels of whatever type they were to be able to make the cart go. This was a substantial investment that they made financially, time-wise, expertise of whoever was making that kind of stuff. That's big. Anything else you think is uh, good, admirable, noteworthy? Or could be pursued? 
every single leader. So it's not just the experts, it's all the leaders of Israel are involved in this. Everybody's on board, right? Everybody. He, and, and besides that, besides actually asking the leaders, who else does he ask? David, kind of a democratic king, pretty weird. But he goes and polls all of Israel, right? Democratic decision-making here. And I'll tell you, democracy, that's just, that's how you serve the Lord is democracy. You can't do it in a monarchy, of course, or anything like that. Certainly not in a communist government. David wasn't doing any of that stuff. He wasn't just imposing this on the people. He was doing this the right way, right? Okay, so I mean, I think, I think we kind of covered it, right? He confers the leaders and experts, democratic decision-made, robust unity movement. And, oh, and, and we should note this. Look at verse 3. Look at the reason why David says they need to do it. Chapter 13 and verse 3. It says, let us bring back the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. In other words, there's sort of this national repentance that David is leading. We did wrong. We didn't seek it in the days of Saul. We need to bring God back to us because we haven't been seeking it, and therefore, that's where we've been seeking him like we ought to. This is a godly motivation, penitent, uh, really good stuff here. And then I think it was already mentioned uh, how much effort was invested. Oh, Oh, I should say this. All that thing we talk about with the unity movement and bringing people from all these different lands and stuff, how'd they get there? They couldn't put a post on Instagram or send an email or whatever. They had to send out messengers to go tell people, hey, come to Jerusalem. We're bringing the ark of God in. It's going to be a big deal, all this kind of stuff. How much time would that have taken? How much financial investment would we have just to load up the messengers with enough food to make it and stuff like that? A lot. How could this have gone wrong? When they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. The anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before God. Then David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah and he called that place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark with him to the city of David, but he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the family of Obed-Edom with all that he had. We did it in such a great way. We asked the leaders and experts. I mean, we were united in this, and we really fought for unity. I mean, everybody was involved in this decision. We made all kinds of arrangements and investments to show God how much we care, and we're doing this because we love God. It wasn't a real benefit to David to do this. We're trying to repent. We're trying to turn back to God here. How could it go like this? Why did this happen? 1 Chronicles 14 is kind of interesting because after these events, while the ark remains there, uh, in the house of Obed-Edom. <clears throat> uh, chapter 14 basically outlines how David um, really blossomed. Uh, talks about his family being enlarged. Talks about battles that he goes and wins. There's a noteworthy thing that in that, David stayed aware of God throughout there. There's a couple of times in chapter 14 where he acknowledges God or praises God or looks to God as he fights these battles. Then in 1 Chronicles 15, we see sort of the turn here and the lesson that David learned from this time when he kind of, sort of, sought God's will. 
First Chronicles 15, it says, Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched a tent for it. And then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God except the Levites. Weird. You didn't say that a few months ago. For Yahweh chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel. So the unity thing, that wasn't bad per se because he does the same thing here. He assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of Yahweh to its place, which he had prepared for it. David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites. And then it lists off all the different clans of the Levites. And, and, and by the way, notice how it's very specific. Each family and each clan. We're not going to go through all the names, but you can see that there. Verse 11, it says, Then David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Esahiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of Yahweh, God of Israel, to the place that I prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at the first, Yahweh our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of Yahweh. Notice this emphasis here at this point in the text. And I'm just going to put the text up here just so we can see it really clearly. David comes to get the ark, uh, the, the uh, Levites, because the Lord had chosen them. Well, how do you figure that, David? David carries on, and what we saw is he instructs the priests, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. Well, where do we find the rule? I didn't notice that on the little voting piece of paper you gave us in our little democratic decision last time. Yeah, that's because it wasn't there. The Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. There was an important lesson learned here after David and Israel kind of sort of sought God's will. And they were. I mean, I, I want to really emphasize they were seeking God's will. But what is David? Because David doesn't say, you guys need to carry it because last time we didn't seek God. They were. He doesn't diminish what they were doing. But they didn't seek him according to the rule. So now he says, we're going to do it right this time. No messing around. Let's do it right. The result, by the way, is that a little bit later in the chapter. I'm just going to put it on the screen. You can read the rest of chapter 15 to see this. It says that David and the elders and Israel and the commanders, so all the same group who were consulted last night, they're all involved. They bring up the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obedience with rejoicing, it says. This is the result of seeking God according to the rule, is rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites, last time there was only punishment from God, only wrath from God. But here it says because they did it God's way, God helped the Levites. I don't know what that quite means. Did it mean they got tired or, or they didn't get tired because God helped them? Was there, I don't really know. Whatever it is, the Spirit tells us here in the Chronicles that God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. They sacrificed. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals and made loud music on harps and lyres. And this leads right into chapter 16 when they actually come into Jerusalem. And that song that we uh, read from earlier, 
Seek the Lord. Seek His face continually. Seek His glory. All that stuff. This is what David is exhorting the people. It's much more potent when you think about the circumstances. It wasn't just, hey guys, let's feel some good feelings about God. It's, hey, let's get more serious about God. Let's seek Him according to the rule. Let's rejoice in what He's prescribed for us to do and go about it that way. It is good to seek the Lord. It is good to serve the Lord. It is good to do things that you know are good things, like worshiping God, like serving God, like whatever you in the world. But the critical lesson we learn here is that as we seek God's will first, that's the only path to true joy. It's to seek it first and seek it rightly. I wonder why... It's weird, because it doesn't seem like David's attitude changed. It wasn't like he was being rebellious and worldly, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, God punished us, so let's be godly now. No, he was being godly the whole time. He was seeking God the whole time. What happened? And I don't know what the answer is exactly, but I will say it's noteworthy that there's that interim period, those few months where the ark was in the house of Obed-Edom. David goes about doing stuff, and then in chapter 15... He references the bit about what the law of Moses had to say. So there's two options. Either A, David knew what the law of Moses had said. He had studied it from the very beginning and just decided, don't care, ignoring it. That's possible. I'll just tell you, I think that's unlikely based on everything else in the context. I think what's more likely is, for those few months, David said, hey, how are we supposed to do this? What's the rule? We know there were other times where the law of God, the Torah, was sort of just drifted off into the background of God's people's life. I think we can uh, insinuate from the text that David said, let's get back. What is the rule? What does the text actually say? How do we do it? They went back and opened the book, examined it, and did it. All right, monologue to start us off. Sorry. Let me pause for a second. What do you want to say about the ark story? What do you think about this? What do you think are some valuable, important lessons? We're going to look at another story uh, that teaches us about how to seek God's will in a second from the life of David. But let me just open it up. Thoughts, comments, observations on the ark, the failure, and the turn to doing it right. Go ahead. That's right. We got to figure this thing out. Sure. This wasn't a sign that God said, I'm done with y'all. This wasn't some dramatic way of God saying, forget about it. Actually, God still wanted to bless them with that. It's a great point. It's a great point. Go ahead. Yeah. That's right. Sure. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Use the exact same language. 
Yes. a great point it's a great point i just want to uh, tag in on that too you know sometimes whenever david would inquire the lord like for instance second samuel uh first samuel 23 where he prays hey what's going on with keila is saul gonna come with people didn't give me up yes yes god actually was communicating with david he was a prophet so he would receive direct it's interesting in this context it doesn't happen god does there's no message from god why not why not and i don't know the text doesn't say but i think part of the reason is god didn't need to add anything this time there was no scripture on what was going to happen with the men at Keilah and whether Saul was going to attack and all that. But God had already said his piece on how to transport the ark. He had already said it. David and the people just needed to take the time to go back and examine it and find it to inquire of the Lord. Sometimes, I guess the reason I'm pointing this out is sometimes don't you ever feel like, man, it would be pretty cool if I could pray and God would actually give me answers because it feels kind of, I kind of feel lost when I'm seeking God's will down here. Well, Yeah. Except, honestly, even the people who God did speak to at times in the scriptures, God didn't always talk to them. Well, God didn't always talk to them directly in a voice in that moment. Even they had to go back to the same resource that we do to figure out God's will and to seek God's will, if we'll actually do that first. Other thoughts, comments, observations on uh, what went wrong here, lessons that David learned, lessons we should learn. Love that. That's an awesome point. Awesome point. Absolutely. Hundred percent. It's so easy to, and I think that's a great point, especially because they had recovered so much and so well, and things were so much better. And they're in Jerusalem, and they've like the judges are kind of a distant memory now. And even Saul, we're done with that, and we're moving forward. This is great. And we got to still slow down and remember who God really is and what he's all about and seek him according to the rule, as it were. You know. All right, good. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yes. said all right cool let's look at another little story here shorter one um but but a significant one on the same issue of seeking seeking god's will and seeking god's will first so uh after the ark is in in first chronicles 17 it says now and it came about when david dwelt in his house that david said to nathan the prophet behold i'm dwelling in a house of cedar but the ark of the covenant of the lord is under curtains it's in a then, David's, uh, then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Now, the Chronicles account gives us a, a more a contracted version, or protract, a shorter version of what we get in 2 Samuel. But David says, Hey, I want to build this house for God, all this kind of stuff. Right? Okay, cool. So we've got the temple, right? And this is kind of our, our second story here. And this is an occasion when David wanted 
to seek God's will. He really wanted to seek God's will and what was right in God's eyes. This, is not, this doesn't seem right that I would be in a fancy, nice house and God has a tent out there. That's messed up. Nathan, the prophet, by the way, notice who he goes to this time. He doesn't go to the people. He doesn't go to his commanders. He goes to the mouthpiece of God, Nathan. That's good. This is, we're, we're doing better than the last time. He learned, he learned something here. And Nathan tells him to go about it. But it came about that same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says Yahweh, You shall not build a house for me to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from one dwelling place to another. In all places where I have walked with all Israel, have I spoken a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built for me a house of cedar? God said no. It's kind of like the ark thing. We lay it out and say, looks like they went about it in a great way. It's a great attitude, great motivation, great reason. Somebody died as a consequence of the fact that they weren't doing it God's way. This isn't nearly as dramatic, but there's a similar sort of thread here. So with the temple, we see that David has a desire for God's honor to supersede his own. I think that's the implication of the whole house thing. This is, this is wrong. If somebody was to come in Jerusalem and they were to say, who's the biggest, baddest, most important person in Israel? Obviously, it would be the king. Look at his nice, fancy house. can't be their God. Their God just has a tent. No, David says. That's wrong. I don't, I don't want that to be the case. I want God to be honored. I want God to be glorified. I want God to be uh, lifted up. God, uh, David submits his will to God's prophet. He says, hey, here's what I want to do. And Nathan says, okay, great. I'm a prophet, and, and yeah, go ahead. Do what's in your heart. There's a third thing that I think is noteworthy that's not in the Chronicles account. I'd really like you to read this with me. It's in 1 Kings, though, 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, and I, I want to say this, that David's intention to build the temple pleased God. David's intention to build the temple pleased God. Now, you might say, wait a second, that's not what 1 Chronicles 17 sounds like. And I know 2 Samuel 7 says the same thing. But listen to what Solomon says as uh, he dedicates the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. It says in 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 17. Oopsie, wrong page. 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 17. It says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will be born to you, he will build the house for my name. Did, did, did you know this verse? For a long time, I don't know if I just skipped the temple dedication thing or what the dealio was. But there was somebody one time, we were in a Bible class, and somebody was teaching what I think is an accurate statement, if it's properly uh, and, and fully rounded off. But they were bringing out the point that, hey, David was presuming to build the temple. God did not give him directions to do that. Therefore, it was wrong. And I think that's a, a fair point. Except the only problem is, is if we take this temple building story and then pretty much set it up as an example of David rebelling against God, disobeying God, what does David say? Oh, sorry, what does God say about it to David right here? You did 
well, you did well that it was in your heart to do this. This is where seeking God's will is kind of tricky. Because there's things that are well-intended that God acknowledges that not only it's well-intended, but you did well that you had that intention. God approves of David's intention to build the temple. And yet God says, but you ain't going to do it, and don't you dare. Okay, so do you like it or not, God? Which one is it? Is it pleasing to you that I build the temple, or is it not? Well, it was pleasing to God that David had it in his heart to do this, that he wanted God's honor to supersede his own, that uh, that he would seek God's will and the prophet, that he would do all this stuff, that he would give a gift to God. That was pleasing to God. And yet the actual act itself was against God's will. You know what would have been displeasing to God is if David had said, well, Lord, you said that you thought it was a pretty good idea, so I'm going to go ahead and build it anyways, okay? That would have been displeasing because that's what we call rebellion, disobedience, disrespect. It wasn't, uh, yeah, I think that's probably enough to say about that. So here's the last little uh, reflection we have about this, and I'll open it up for your thoughts. His well-intended idea was not God's will. If we learn from the ark, we need to make sure that we are seeking God's will in the scriptures, that we're examining God's will, that we're reading maybe over little details like how the ark should be transported and how it should not be transported. That seems like that's not a big deal. I mean, the poles, the thing, whatever. We got new technology. We got this cart. We can use that. It's fine. We don't need it. Look, you go to God's will and you seek that out and you determine what God's word says. Uh, There's a lesson here in that our good intentions are acknowledged by God appreciated by God. But our good intentions are not what dictates what we do for God. Does that make sense? God recognizes the good intentions we have. And he says we do well when we have those good intentions for him. But those good intentions are not the thing that dictates what we should or should not do. Let me pause for a second and open it up for any comments or observations related to this. Um, This story and the lessons that we learned from are kind of this big picture lesson here. great point and yet paul doesn't get rebuked how dare you want to go la, 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 la. it's nothing like that it's not bad that he wanted to it's just not god's will and if paul said i don't care i'm going to do it well then that would be a problem right other thoughts comments observations on the temple building planning and uh and all that sort of thing oh by the way i mean david ends up spending pretty much the rest of his life in the chronicles accounts interesting chronicles of course features so much about the temple and so much of the good stuff samuel features a lot of the more bad and, and sad stuff in the rest of david's life but chronicles Almost exclusively, not quite. There's one little bad story in Chronicles. But almost exclusively just is, honestly, you guys know, unless you're really into building stuff, it's kind of a snore fest because it's all about collecting of materials and all this kind of stuff. But if we read it in this context, it's actually not a snore fest at all. It shows how devoted David was. He wanted to build the temple. He wouldn't get to. But he said, okay, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. So I'm going to collect all the materials. I'm going to get all the worshipers set up so that day one, opening day of the temple, everybody's ready to go. I'm going to direct everything, get everything set up. He didn't get to build it, 
but God used him to get these things ready for it. And that is really the story of the rest of uh, First Chronicles, I should say, uh, which is pretty impressive in David's response to this whole deal. There we go. Amen. Amen. Right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get heretical. Yes. Yeah, that could be. That's interesting. I'd have to think about this some more. So basically what you're saying is that perhaps Solomon is putting a quote in place of what God did and saying kind of here's, here's the message of what God did. That could be. I will say I think that I think that I, what I would end up probably rolling with is he says God said it. And so I would think since he doesn't say, hey, he basically said or something, I, I think this probably is something God said. And I think we have precedent for this in other places like in Acts chapter 20 where it says, remember the word of the Lord Jesus. It's better to give than receive. Well, that's a... We don't have that in the Gospels, and, you know, Paul says it. Well, apparently Jesus said that. I think it's probably something like that, and I think it's also possible that what we have is here, Solomon received this from David. David told him, hey, this is what God told me, actually, in one of these times. There's so much instruction going on from David to Solomon. But I will say, the construct you just laid out, that is certainly true. We see the way that God responds is not, it's not anything close to the Uzzah situation. There's no punishment. Nobody gets killed. Matter of fact, what we're seeing in just a second is, this is the launching off point where God solidifies David's role in bringing about God's blessing to all nations to be a part of salvation for the world. And so what you, the construct you set up, is, is that is certainly what happened uh, for sure. All right, good. Any other thoughts, observations, lessons we should take away from the, uh, the temple um, idea, the temple plan, and the temple construction? All right. The rest of First Chronicles 17 
brings us to the promise. And this is a special pivot here because when we think about seeking, what we've been thinking about seeking God's will, start that prophecy centuries later from Isaiah. And we've seen David kind of, sort of seek God's will, but not according to the rule, teaching us an important lesson there. Secondly, wanting desperately to seek God's will, but coming up with his own idea, a well-intended idea, but not really God's idea, and needing to learn, hey, you've got to just wait on God. You don't get to run ahead and kind of make your own plans. But in the rest of 1 Chronicles 17, we see the promise that God made to David, the covenant God made with David. And this is the time when God helped David see how his will really works. After the whole bit, and turn back to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. After the whole bit where God says, you're not going to build the house, blah, 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 all that stuff. He says in verse 7, it says, now therefore, and there's the house, house, house. That word gets used repeatedly. He says in verse 7, he says, now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be leader over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a name like the name of the great ones who are in the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and not be moved again, and the wicked will not waste them anymore as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I tell you that Yahweh will build a house for you. When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your offspring after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take away my loving kindness away from him as I took it away from him who was before you. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. God said, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to raise up one of your sons. Actually, he's not going to be your son anymore. He's going to become my son. I will be a father to him. And he's going to rule in an everlasting dynasty and he's going to secure all the blessings of the people that were outlined earlier in this see god's will what what david uh, had to learn was that he was trying to do things for god but really god's will is to do things for us if we'll submit ourselves to him that's what this whole deal is about god's will was to build a house for david not the other way around Again, it was well-intended. It was, a good, it was good that David had it in his heart to build God a house, but God says, David, you don't even know, man. I've got something way better if you'll just wait on me and let me build the house for you. And so David's realization, and we won't read it, but the rest of chapter 17 is another uh, prayer of gratitude and reflection where David realizes God's greatness over him, his sovereignty, his authority, his power, his faithfulness throughout all generations and how God utilized all those things to be good toward his people. That's what it was all about. That was David's realization. To live in God's will is not just, i got to obey a bunch of rules, or I'm not allowed to even do good stuff that I want to do for God. What's this all about? No, to live in God's will is to have the goodness of God rule your life 
And so, yeah, you need to do things according to the rules so that God's goodness will rule in your life. And yeah, you know, whatever good intentions you have, they need to be dictated by what God wants and what God says, not just what you think would be a good idea. If you want God's goodness in your life, these are the lessons that we learn from this period in David's life as we learn to seek God's will first. Whenever we're running around here in the world, we've got to be people who are constantly opening, examining, and obeying the scriptures according to the rule. In everything where God says something, we've got to be looking for it. Now, of course, there's a lot of things God didn't say anything about, right? And in those things, I think what we see throughout scripture is God gives us freedom. But here's the deal. When God is specific about anything, anything else is off the table. Maybe put it this way. When God is specific in his instructions, his silence is restrictive. Now, when God's silent, that's not restrictive. God never said anything about driving what kind of car you need to drive and stuff like that. I don't think there's anything in the scripture that specifically dictates that. But when God has been specific about things, like, for instance, God specifically has said, a man and a woman, the two shall become one flesh. You know what that, since he was specific, you know what that rules out? Every other combo that you could possibly come up with to count as a marriage. And, of course, that's obvious. But the same applies to the activities we engage in in worship, the way we use our money, the way we talk, the way we don't talk, whatever it may be. We've got to be people who open, examine, and obey the Scriptures according to the rule. That's what David found out, and that's what we need to learn alongside him. And that means that we yield our good intentions to God's rule. Even the things that God would say, hey, it was good that you wanted to do that. It is good. By the way, can I just add something? Whenever we think about our friends and neighbors who are doing things that we can see, ooh, that's not according to the rule. I should be careful about the way I speak. I should be very assertive about the doctrines that I know to be true and the changes that I believe they need to make when I speak to them. But I need to be careful about castigating their uh, things about them in regards to their character or their attitude. They don't really love God or they're not seeking God. Well, that's not what God said about David when David was trying to do something that God didn't want him to do. God ultimately did not want David to do the thing. And yet God says of David, that was good that you wanted to. We need to have a gracious spirit, not wavering from the rule, not wavering from speaking boldly about the rule. Be careful with others. And by the way, the reason I say we need to be careful with others because we need to be careful with each other. And sometimes we train ourselves to talk about other people, uh, our religious neighbors, And we can speak and think about them in such a way that then we start doing that with each other when we're really trying to work on stuff. And then we start doing it with ourselves. And then all of a sudden, I don't think God could possibly love me. There's nothing good that I could ever do for God because I got to keep on messing, all that kind of stuff. We need to be careful. Good intentions are good intentions. They're only good intentions, but they are good intentions. And what I need to do is learn to yield my good intentions to God's rule and trust in God's greatness and how he uses his greatness for my good. Go back to Isaiah 55, and let's tie this thing off. Isaiah chapter 55. You can see how the themes actually in Isaiah 55 match up perfectly with this uh, period in David's life. This reference to the faithful mercies to David, that's a reference to the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Which, of course, by the way, David and and the psalmists uh, bring up a number of times throughout the psalms. Uh, You can see the emphasis of what we read earlier in Isaiah 55 about listening, inclining your ear. Well, that's exactly the stuff about seeking him according to the rule. What does the law say? What does the word of God say? 
Verse 7 is noteworthy, and we're going to say this kind of as a, a conclusion, as we're trying to be people who seek God's will and to seek the everlasting covenant that God made with David. Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God is ready to forgive. God is ready to receive. God's ready to restore. Do you notice who it is that he's ready to receive? The wicked, the unrighteous. What is it that we have to abandon? Here's the way I want to read verse 7. Let the wicked man forsake his wicked ways and let the unrighteous man abandon his unrighteous thoughts. Is that what it says? That's not what it says, is it? It says, I've got to abandon my way and my thoughts. Even the thoughts that I think are pretty good, I've got to be willing to abandon them whenever it comes up against God's will. Whatever it may be, mine is not good enough. God's is greater. In verse 8, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Often a verse that we read, and rightly so, to say, hey, don't think you're smarter than God. God is way better than you. He's way smarter than you. He's way higher than you. You just need to submit to him, and we do. But Isaiah 55 and verse 8 is not a, you're a dummy and God is smart, so stop arguing with him. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 is an invitation. Remember where this chapter started. Come, buy wine and milk. Why are you wasting your money on things that aren't bread? Come, and I'll, you can delight yourself in abundance if you would come here and stop seeking your will. Stop seeking God your way. Abandon your thoughts and your ways because as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much greater God's way are, is than your way. How much greater his thoughts are than your thoughts. Why are you chasing God with faulty thinking? God's got a better way. Verse 10, he continues, and he says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God says, look, my ways and my thoughts are so far superior to yours. If you would just seek me according to the rule, you won't have a dead man on the path to Jerusalem. Instead, you'll have rejoicing. You'll have shouting. You'll have me helping you along the way because my ways are better than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So come here. Let me teach you. Listen to me. This is why when Jesus showed up, he would use this exact same language. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said that his words and the spirit that was in them was like water that would give life to people. He was the light. Jesus was just talking about Isaiah 55. Will we listen? Will we listen? If we do, here's the promise. Verse 12. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Any of the bad and scary and hard things that you're trying to navigate throughout your life, they'll be like nothing anymore whenever you get up on God's plane of existence. When you think like God, when you do like God, it changes everything about your world. 
Instead of the thorn bush, the result of the curse, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. We've got to learn to seek God and to seek his will in the way that he wishes us to. Because his will for us is for our good. It's not a bunch of rules just to see who really loves me. Let's see who will jump through all the hoops. No. God's building a house. He's been building it through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are that house, the scriptures say. All of us who would seek him, forsaking our ways, forsaking our thoughts, to come to him, to listen to him, to do it his will in the way that he's prescribed so that we, like David and all the Israelites as they went into Jerusalem, we too will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the accomplishment at the end of verse 13 is it will be a memorial to the Lord. You want to fulfill the purpose of God in your generation, Acts 13, 36. You want to be one of those people who does all of God's will, be a person after God's own heart. Let's seek God's will. Seek his will first. Come to the waters and drink. I don't know if you need to do something to change your life, to seek God's will better, but I hope the conversation that we've been able to have, the scriptures that we've looked at, the prayers we've prayed today will help you. I know it's helped me, and may God help all of us to walk in the way that he wants us to. I think we're going to have a song, is that right? Let's all stand up and sing together for our encouragement. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.